Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We do not have a good martini for you today. We have uh, two bads and a crazy. Uh, Jim, I think most of official Washington, as heated as the policy debates are and the midterms and the positioning for 2024, kind of ground to a halt yesterday with the horrific news out of Indiana that 2nd District Republican Congresswoman Jackie Walorski uh, was killed in a head-on accident. Two of her staffers also killed. The other driver was killed. You know, whenever someone passes away, especially suddenly and tragically, the responses, the statements are are genuinely positive. But there's something about what we saw about uh, Congresswoman Walorski and, and, and really her staff members as well. I was surprised by how many people were commenting on that on Twitter yesterday, just how genuinely decent people they were and how they were actually committed uh, to the work they did and that they were in Washington for the right reasons. So a really, really terrible tragedy out of Indiana. Indeed, Greg. I only had a chance to meet her once very early in her career at, I think it was an event by the, the NRCC. Uh, but, you know, a comment I saw yesterday resonated, thinking back to our interaction back then, that she had an authenticity that most politicians just would envy and and that you really can't buy, you can't, you, you either have it or you don't. And she was committed to her district, committed to her constituents, uh, in politics for all the right reasons, and just a just a horrifying reminder that uh, you know not very little is guaranteed in this life. And every now and then, I'll make the reference to the old line from Sports Center: "He's listed as day to day, but then again, aren't we all? You never know when fate could take a very sudden, drastic turn. So you want to make the most of the days you have. And I think it's safe to say that uh, Congresswoman Walorski and her staffers did so. Absolutely right. Yeah, the tributes uh, seem to be very heartfelt, very genuine. Many people referring to the congresswoman's deep and abiding faith. And so uh, we're confident that faith became sight yesterday. But her family, of course, and all who cared about her and the others involved in the accident, uh, deeply in mourning today. And so our our prayers go out to them as well. Uh, Jim, uh, never easy to transition out of that. But uh, just to remind everyone that this is our last kind of normal three martini lunch podcast for a little while i go on vacation tomorrow and you'll be here with chad benson and then uh due to the quirks of covid and scheduling we're both on vacation next week and so we've got a series of special three martini lunch podcasts they're not reruns they're not guessos you'll get jim and me even though we won't be live uh so hopefully no huge uh breaking news stories but we're going to talk about uh, jim's brand new book gathering five storms as well as his short story that's now available, Saving the Devil. Uh, And then we're also going to uh, talk about one year since the horrific withdrawal in Afghanistan. We'll talk about where we think the midterms stand right now, and we'll do our uh, much-advertised Q&A sessions, uh, two different installments of those, answering your questions as best we can. So, uh, Jim, on to our first martini now. And as we said, we don't have a good one, but this definitely puts some perspective into what the Biden administration is trying to take credit for. Uh, the average price of gasoline got up to 
roughly $5 a gallon for regular unleaded. I know you tracked that more closely than I did. But uh, over the past month or so, uh, maybe even longer than that, uh, the price has been coming down. My local gas station now, uh, regular unleaded, is about $3.95. Other places, uh, your price may vary. And the Biden administration, which never took responsibility for the price going up to $5 from about to 17, at least at my local station, when when he took office, is trying to get all the credit now for the price going down. And the only thing we can see that they've done is uh, release reserves from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And now we know what's really happening here. This is from Yahoo Finance. Americans are officially driving less than they did in the summer of 2020 when pandemic travel restrictions all but halted movement. The four-week average of U.S. gasoline consumption, the best gauge for the country's demand, is now more than 1 million barrels a day below pre-COVID seasonal norms, according to Energy Information Administration data. The drop suggests the glimmer of demand recovery seen last week was fleeting. Though pump prices have fallen for 50 straight days, it's not enough to lure drivers back to the road with historic inflation-constraining consumer budgets. The dip in demand caused gasoline futures to plunge as much as 11% in New York on Wednesday. So, Jim, uh, simple supply and demand here. When demand goes down, the prices go down. And so Biden can try to take credit for this all he wants. And Ron Klain will retweet your tweets all day long if you give Biden the credit. But that is not what is happening here. Uh, People just simply aren't driving to the point where it's less than in the middle of a pandemic. Greg, this is not a good martini, but I do sometimes like it when official data verifies what I feel like I sense or my gut is telling me or anecdotes around me are telling me. Um, We really shouldn't be surprised by this. If you know people who are like, oh, my God, you know, gas prices are so high. First of all, it's not like people are stop have stopped complaining about it, because if your neck of the woods was the exact national average, then around mid-June, you were like, oh, my God, it's five bucks a gallon. How in the world are we supposed to get, you know, get to work? And at that time, people were absolutely canceling their summer vacations. If you usually drove to the beach or a lake or the mountains or whatever you did, road trips were just, you know, much more expensive than they usually would be because of the significantly higher cost of gas. Now they're down to about 430 nationally, probably a little bit higher in our neck of the woods. But it's still not cheap. It's still like people like, oh, well, that's great. Because most people, you know, buy gas, you know, anywhere from once a week, once every two weeks, maybe more than once a week. And they know how much they're used to paying. And, you know, at least in this neck of the woods, it's usually between two or three dollars for a really long stretch. Now, obviously, it went down really low during the pandemic because people weren't driving and then it went back up. And now it went up to this super high. So 430 is not cheap. 450 or whatever it was I paid the other day, that's not cheap either. Uh, people still say with excitement in around here, if you can find it for $3.99 and people, you know, debate about whether it's worth it to drive the extra 20 minutes to get to that gas station. So you can save money because you're burning more gas as you get there, but maybe you save more per, per pennies per gallon, et cetera. The idea, other things when they say, oh, you know, travel pandemic travel restrictions all but halted movement in the summer of 2020. Listeners, your mileage may vary. That's not really an intended pun, but now that I think about it, that's a pretty good one. (laughs) Um, In the summer 2020, went down to South Carolina twice, visiting my folks. We felt like it was safe. We rushed into restroom, bathrooms, in and out, used lots of hand sanitizer. And, you know, those were our vacations for that year because you you couldn't fly anywhere. You couldn't fly internationally. Flights were very few and far between. I don't, I can't remember whether Amtrak was running and if it did, it had all kinds of restrictions. Um, But people could drive. So it's not that surprising that particularly, you know, it really kind of cracked down that second week of March, March 12th, March 13th, around there. And by that point, most Americans had been 
uh, you know, stuck indoors, staying home, uh, school from home, living their lives in this quasi, what was the, you know, the expression I love, a month full of Wednesdays, right? Your life just didn't, didn't have birthday parties, didn't have vacations, didn't have trips, didn't have holiday celebrations the way you usually do. So by the summer of 2020, we were all going kind of stir crazy. So it's not surprising. One of the few things you could do that was safe was get out into nature, even though there was a nut job down in Florida who dressed up like the Grim Reaper and insisted you were gonna get you were gonna die because you went to the beach. No, actually going to the beach, going to the lake, going out to the national parks, state parks. That was one of the few things you could do. And it was there was, you know, one open and available and considered safe. You weren't going likely to get all that close to people. Movies weren't in the movie theaters. Um, you know, they're all the stuff you usually do wasn't happening in summer 20. So actually it doesn't surprise me that people were driving a lot in summer 2020. It was really the only way to get around. And it doesn't surprise me that now, even though prices have gone down about 70 cents, like, like going down 70 cents a gallon isn't that great when it's gone up $2.50 or more from what it usually is. And, you know, I think somebody used the, uh, the metaphor of, you know, yeah, usually weigh around 250, but, you know, lately I bloomed up to 600 pounds, but good news, I'm down to 500. You know, most people would say, well, you're still like really in dangerous shape at that level. Gas prices are still high. And the Biden administration just keeps trying to Jedi mind trek people into thinking they're doing better than they are. No responsibility whatsoever, despite the radical change to energy policy, blaming it all on Putin, even though the prices had already been high and now claiming credit for the prices going down. It's, you know, reminds me of that that kid from The Simpsons uh, who's with the I'm helping meme. You're not helping. Uh, you know, it's just people have decided it. They can't afford to do it. That's that's not a feather in your cap, Mr. President. That's people realizing their financial reality, and it's not a happy one. All right. We have liberated you from your summer road trips. Yes. Thanks so much. Uh, meanwhile, our country is being rocked by soaring inflation. Hint, hint. Uh, lackluster leadership. Ditto. And chaos on the world stage. Americans need their legislators to focus on the issues that matter and to ease the economic pain we're all feeling. Instead, senators like Amy Klobuchar are pushing a big government takeover of America's tech industry through progressive regulations that would worsen inflation and make important digital services like Amazon Prime more expensive and harder to use. Conservatives must block progressive pet projects that will raise prices and undermine our world's standing. These lawmakers need to keep American innovation the best in the world. And you don't want to mess up Amazon Prime because that's how you're going to get gathering five storms. So just make sure that that's working fine. (laughs) NetChoice wants you to join it in telling Congress to stop rising prices and reject progressive tech regulations like Senate Resolution 2992. Learn more about this fight and send a letter to your representatives at netchoice.org slash 2992. This message was brought to you by NetChoice. All right, Jim. Uh, Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan. The administration didn't want her to. China rattled the saber some, telling her not to, that they might shoot down her plane if she had a fighter escort, if she crossed the straits. You never know what's going to happen. We can't guarantee your safety. Well, as we suspected, uh, they let her land. She had her meetings. Now she's gone. And so we go. But where does the situation stand? A lot of people think that China, with its Seemingly never-ending military exercises are getting closer and closer to uh, confronting Taiwan one way or another, whether it's a blockade or an outright invasion. Meanwhile, Politico's got this going on with their China Watcher segment. Looks like Fortune 500 companies and small and medium enterprises alike are seeking the advice of corporate security experts 
to develop contingency plans to protect staff and assets if conflict erupts across the Taiwan Strait. The corporate nightmare? That a war could result in the loss or seizure of assets in Taiwan. That anxiety reflects concerns that potential Chinese military action against Taiwan, fueled by the surge in military intimidation linked to Pelosi's visit this week, is already posing a threat to the island's long-term economic viability. They quote a guy named Dale Buckner here, a chief executive officer of the international security firm Global Guardian. I have seven Fortune 500 companies asking me to pre-plan and build an outline of triggers for them to start moving people, infrastructure, and assets outside of Taiwan. That's real. It's happening. Jim, on the one hand, that's, you know, prudent, pragmatic planning. On the other hand, uh, this is a critical, critical economic ally and one that we love because they embrace freedom. The storm clouds are gathering, it appears. Yeah. Like, first of all, I, I salute you for slipping an ad into an ad earlier. Um, <laughs> so the, the, there are a lot of things that are really depressing and frustrating about this. And I think the most depressing and frustrating aspect is that, you know, even though the Politico article says that they're panicking, I don't think that these businesses and companies are crazy to be looking at this and asking these questions. We have people, we have employees on the ground there. We have assets on the ground in terms of, you know, you know, structures and, and, you know, offices and stuff like, and probably, you know, manufacturing facilities and asking security consultants, are they safe? Well, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for those conversations. I, it's very hard to imagine that those corporate security consultants look at it and say, that's nah, fine. You're good. Don't worry about it. There's no way you know, China's going to do anything. I don't think it's likely, but you know, the risk is greater than zero. And so now the question is, how do you prepare for that scenario? And you end up with, probably with a scenario that feels a lot like the um, run up to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And one of the things that's really frustrating about this is, I don't know if it's necessarily a self-fulfilling prophecy. But, you know, look, Taiwan punches well above its weight in terms of its economic power, in terms of its importance to the global economy, in terms of semiconductors and chips and manufacturing and all that kind of stuff. So if, you know, if the, one of the consequences of an attempted Chinese invasion was a colossal impact on the world economy that would also hurt China, that might be something of a deterrent. But if these companies are pulling stuff out, and if Taiwan becomes less economically important to the rest of the world economy, well, then you're kind of taking away a potential deterrent factor in this. Would I think it'd be a, a determining, you know, the, the, a pivotal factor? Probably not. But it just seems like the, these attitudes, the more people act like a Chinese invasion of Taiwan is inevitable, it probably makes more people thinking this is inevitable, which probably makes China believe, ah, okay, well, we can do this because everybody's already, you know, everybody already expects us to do this. Um, now, maybe you'd say, oh, well, they lose the element of surprise or something like that. But I, mean, I, I really kind of think that this is a signal from the business community to Taiwan of, wow, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. Uh, we're, you know, we're really sorry to hear this, but we're not willing to stick by you. Um, good luck. We're, we're abandoning you. Uh, if you manage to fight off the Chinese and there's anything left of your island, we'll be happy to come back and reopen our offices or something like that. It's not a profile in courage, but I think, you know, also, you know, then the small part of me says, well, these companies aren't military institutions. They're not geopolitical institutions. Their, their job isn't to defend Taiwan. Their job is to make widgets or chips or whatever they're making there. So, you know, I, I, I sympathize with these groups, but in the end, um, this does feel like a step that could inadvertently enable some future Chinese invasion of Taiwan. 
Are these companies also pulling out of China for their uh, repression mm, of their point. people <laughs> and their threatening of Taiwan? I mean, what? Come on. <laughs> yeah. By the way, the other interesting, con- you know, kind of contrast here, we don't know a list of which particular companies. But when Russia invaded Ukraine, almost everyone in corporate America, and in fact, you know, base, I would say, you know, global companies, big ones that were based here and in Western Europe, almost all of them look at it and said, wow, we can't do business with Russia anymore. Sorry, we're, we're yanking the McDonald's out. We're yanking out the Starbucks. We're not going to sell uh, all of our products. That This is this is now an you know, international outlaw aggressor nation, and we just can't act like it's business as usual. They haven't done the same thing to China over the Uyghurs. They haven't done the same thing to China over Hong Kong. There have been a whole bunch of other relatively comparable moral outrages committed by the Chinese government. <coughs> Wuhan. And, uh, you know, I, I, we've seen very little of that from corporate America. Maybe I, I'd let, you'd like to think an invasion of Taiwan would be enough, but I don't know if that's necessarily uh, the case. I guess uh, only time will tell. Yeah, a lot of business intertwining, and we love that billion-plus market. They overlook a lot of stuff for that billion-plus market. Hasn't really paid off too well. See the NBA. NBA's got a great record of uh, courage on that front. CPAC Chairman Matt Schlapp explains why firing Nancy Pelosi and winning the midterms needs to be our white-hot focus, or 2024 might not even matter. I'm Bill Walton. On the latest edition of The Bill Walton Show, Matt and I also discuss how a small number of leftists are ruining our corporations and institutions and why conservative ideas are better because they work and they make us happy. Follow The Bill Walton Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, one more bit of good news, Andy, and that is the fantastic deals you can find at 4patriots.com slash martini including their signature offer right now, a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. And of course, free shipping on all orders over $97. You want to be prepared. You don't want to get caught unprepared when your power goes out. It's going to happen eventually. It's just a question of whether you're in the dark for a few minutes, a few hours, or maybe even a few days or more. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X, worth its weight in gold. It's now got double the capacity and it'll keep your big appliances running, including your fridge, which is full of food that just keeps getting more and more expensive. It's got 12 outlets, including four AC, plus two USB-C outlets that can charge your phone 20 times faster than normal. So visit 4patriots.com martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com slash martini. That's 4patriots.com slash martini. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And uh, after those two martinis, we definitely uh, need something a little bit lighthearted. Uh, you might remember that uh, a really heavily partisan Democratic congressional map in New York got shot down by New York courts, which is kind of surprising. But nonetheless, that happened. So they brought in like a, a special congressional map master. I'm not exactly sure what they call that person, but supposedly an independent uh, person who you know makes the, the map more fair or whatever. And as a result, there is a member versus member race right in the middle of New York City. And that's Jerry Nadler, uh, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, and Carolyn Maloney, two longtime Democratic members going head to head. Uh, The primary is later this month. More of Maloney's district is in this new district, so she's considered, I think, the favorite. Some people are saying there could be an upstart uh, young liberal in this race who might surprise both of them, but we'll see what happens later on. But meanwhile, there was a debate the other night, and the question came up simply, will you support Joe Biden uh, for a second term as president of the United States? Now, Jerry Nadler completely ducked the question, saying, quote, it doesn't serve the purposes of the Democratic Party to deal with that until after the midterms. That's a ringing vote of confidence. Meanwhile, Carolyn Maloney just flat out said, I don't think he's going to run again. Well, that didn't sit too well with apparently a lot of people, most of them probably in the White House. And so then Carolyn Maloney went on CNN to grovel. And this is uh, how she spun it. Mr. President, I apologize. I want you to run. I happen to think you won't be running. But when you run or if you run, I will be there 100 percent. You have deserved it. You are a great president. And... Thank you for everything you've done for my state and all the states and all the cities in America. Thank you, Mr. President. So there you go, Jim. She still doesn't think he's going to run. But if he does, he would be the most awesomest, bestest, greatest, most amazing president ever because he already is. I just can't wait to endorse him if he runs. Uh, I just don't think he will. (laughs) Um, I was going to say that uh, I haven't seen someone change their tune that dramatically uh, since I heard, you know, the general consensus from all those veterans that Raymond Shaw is the kindest, bravest, warmest, <laughs> most wonderful human being I've ever known in my life. That goes back from the Manchurian candidate. I, I, I think, you, I almost sympathize with Maloney. And oh, by the way, remember, there was a CNN poll that said 75% of Democrats want to see their party nominate somebody besides Joe Biden. This is not, ironically, this is not a controversial position in Democratic circles. There is a consensus that somebody else should be. Now, maybe there's disagreement over who that somebody else ought to be. But the idea that this is, you know, Maloney, you know, uh, going way out on a limb or being this absolute maverick, unorthodox stand. No, no, she's really speaking for the majority. The fact that she did this dramatic 180 indicates that she probably got at least one and maybe several phone calls from the Biden White House of, you know, what the hell are you doing? What the hell are you saying? Uh, How dare you go out there and do that? And I I was thinking about this in today's uh, morning, Joel. Like, look, I guess if you're right of center and you want to see a Republican president, then yeah, Joe Biden choosing to run again is probably the best option. Um, He's polling terribly. His job approval rating is bad. Head-to-head matchups against Trump. He's no longer consistently winning. You can find one or two that he's still ahead of Trump, but it's not It's not regular. I think it would be a jump ball, uh, even with all of Trump's challenges as a candidate. Um, And oh, by the way, against, I think, a Ron DeSantis who doesn't have the Trump baggage, I think this thing might be a, you know, might be a a landslide. Um, As mentioned, a lot of Democrats are not enthusiastic about this. So you can see why it makes sense for Democrats, for somebody to say, 
you know what? We should not renominate Joe Biden just because he's an incumbent. He's not in great shape for reelection. The country's kind of rejected him. We ourselves are not that enthusiastic about him. It's time for a fresh face. It's not. It's time for a better option. Let's have a primary. Let's have each other fight it out. And whoever wins, they're we'll all unite behind that person. It would be better if somebody came out and said that. I don't think Carolyn Maloney is a prominent enough person to do it. And it's worth noting that she's not alone. Um, Joe Manchin dodged the question when asked if he would support Biden for another term. Uh, two Minnesota Democrats in the House, Angie Craig and Dean Phillips, all basically came out and said, yeah, he should not run for re-election. A little surprising, but I don't think any of these figures are prominent enough, have enough stature. Um, their words just don't carry the weight. Not even Gerald Nadler um, has the weight. Actually, Gerald Nadler lost a lot of weight, so good for him. But none of these figures are prominent enough to make the Biden White House confront that hard reality. So it's kind of the emperor's new clothes. Everybody knows Joe Biden would be a really weak candidate in 2024, but nobody wants to be the first one to come out and acknowledge it because they'll get all the wrath that the Joe Biden White House can muster. Now, here's the thing, dear listeners. I don't think the Joe Biden White House can muster that much wrath. I don't think if somebody came out and said this, they're really going to get that much of uh, you know scorn and pushback, et cetera, et cetera. And you know who I think might be exactly the right person to do this, Greg? Hmm. Barack Obama. Don't underestimate Joe's ability to blank this up, as he reportedly said to people in the run-up to the 2020 primary. Um, now, some people would see this as the ultimate betrayal. Uh, Barack Obama does not seem like a guy who's been enormously focused on the fate of the Democratic Party since he left office. Uh, and he doesn't seem like somebody who would want to take sides. But I think it's also very clear, you know, Barack Obama can read a poll just as much as anybody else. I, I don't know if Hillary would have the same um, this, the same stature. Um, people would say, what do you know? You lost to Trump. I don't know if Schumer or Pelosi or anybody else in Democratic circles really has the ability to basically say it, openly say what everybody's thinking, and then be the one who says the emperor has no clothes and kind of force the party to confront this. Because right now they're sleepwalking towards renominating Biden. The only way he doesn't get renominated is if his health becomes so seriously, clearly an impediment. And I remind you, he'll be running for re-election as a near 82-year-old. Let's remember, you know, as I'm sure listeners are probably screaming at their podcast players right now, 2020 was a really unusual set of circumstances. He was able to, you know, quote unquote, sit in his basement and record Zoom meetings all day. He's not going to be able to do that in a 2024 re-election campaign. He's going to be expected to be traveling across the country. We look and we can see his schedule now. He doesn't do stuff on weekends. He doesn't do stuff before 10 a.m. He doesn't do stuff after about two or three in the afternoon. This is not a guy who can handle the rigors of the presidency. And he's only going to get older from here. So, you know, it, 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 to me, it's, it's obvious the Democrats would be, you know, um, uh, if at best placing a really long shot bet that Joe Biden can win in 2024. Um, but they don't seem to be shaken out of it. And it's kind of fascinating that even when Maloney says something that's pretty obvious, uh, she gets so clearly smacked down that she feels to go on and, you know, look like he's, she's been hypnotized into being, becoming a, a big Joe Biden fan again. No, that's right. I feel like the the undercurrent of this story is you're not supposed to say that until mid-November. Uh, <laughs> but it's like the worst kept secret ever. But as you report in the jolt today, Biden's telling everybody, including Obama, that he intends to run for re-election. So 
I don't know if Obama or anybody else has the ability to talk him out of it because if nobody can, regardless of where he is, it's going to be, I mean, somebody might run against him, but that usually doesn't work well for the party uh, when somebody challenges the incumbent in the primary. So I was going to say, I'd be really surprised how people are responding to Biden when he says that. And I, I think, you know, is it a, hmm, oh, good luck with that, Mr. President? Or, oh, well, you know, yeah. is it, you know, do everybody kind of look at their shoes and, you know, talk about the weather, change the subject? <laughs> or do any of them say, look, Joe, I love you, but you're too old for the job. Does anybody really call him out on that? Does anybody really press him on that? My guess is everybody's like, ah, we can do it later. But if you're going to run for president in 2024, you probably want to start having your ducks in a row for now. Because I suspect that on the Republican side, it's going to start very early in 2023. And, you know, I don't think it should, but I think it will. And I think that, uh, you know, you, you need time to prepare. You need time to get your, you know, supporters in line, raise the money, start building your name ID if you're not that well known. Like we've seen what, you know, Newsom and J.B. Pritzker and these other governors are doing it. Like they know this is a good opportunity that this is going to shake out this way. But, uh, you know, we'll see what that happened. Look, Republicans have a lot of problems, but it is kind of fun to watch the Democrats working the way they do. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, if it is just being held up until after the midterms, that means most people already know. So Harris and Buttigieg and Newsom and mm. uh, the others that you mentioned are probably already ramping up for it. If not... Uh, there's going to be some tough decisions that have to be made. So that'll be fun to watch uh, as well. Because if so he, if he one of the reasons I think people reacted to Maloney the way they did is the you know, suspicion that she had some sort of inside scoop or was hearing things from other high placed Democrats. If Kamala seems unusually happy uh, the next few times <laughs> we see her, then that's probably the case. Jim, uh, have a great time with Chad tomorrow and have a fabulous vacation. I'll see you back officially on Monday for our special series. And uh, in real life, I'll see you a week from Monday. See you, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us as well. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. They really do help us a lot, so please keep them coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Again, Chad Benson will be in for me tomorrow and then our special series of podcasts for you next week. Have a great day, everyone, and join us next time for the Three Martini Lunch. Former Trump immigration official Stephen Miller joins me to explain how Biden's open borders are far more dangerous than most of us understand. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Miller also details how his America First Legal Foundation is suing the CDC for conspiring to stifle free speech. And I'll explain why Biden giving IDs to illegal immigrants is a horrible idea. Join me. Follow The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Todd Herman, host of The Todd Herman Show. You might have heard me on Rush Limbaugh's show. I was a regular fill-in for about eight years. I now do a show out of the high mountains of free America because, you know, I got exiled from Seattle. Google Gemini correctly predicts the present day. Mind control matrix. The internet, television, even our phones wouldn't just be distractions, but tools used to manipulate the masses and suppress critical thinking. I said that correctly. Check out The Todd Herman Show every day on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Cartels are exploiting Indian reservations to get into America, and our federal government can't be bothered to stop it. Hey, y'all, it's Sarah Carter from The Sarah Carter Show. I just got back from two trips to our southern border, and I want to take you inside a huge hotspot where thousands of migrants are coming into America every day. I was with a member of the National Border Patrol Council when the Border Patrol nabbed 
multiple illegal migrants who are breaking U.S. law. And I have the exclusive audio. For all this and more, subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show on your favorite podcast app.